gratitude. This is a psalm of David. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed, and he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Will you pray with me? Father, we have just come through a week where babies have been born, and we have had also family members leave this earthy existence and their place with us for a time. So Lord, our, our Thanksgiving holiday is, is filled with both sorrow and joy for new life, as well as um, our brother Dave Renfro um, passing away and, and now in your presence. Lord, I pray that above all else, you would um, teach us what it means to experience and know, trust in, rejoice in your love, and to know that you have given to us things that cannot be taken away, and those are the things which make our gratitude eternal or should. I pray, Lord, you would stir within us just a deep sense of of joy to know that you have filled our cup. Thank you for the fact that sin is no more, it has been paid for, and we look forward to the blessed return of our Lord, Savior, and King Jesus, who will make all things right. So, Lord, give us joy and give us reason for thanksgiving this morning in Christ's name. Amen. There's a, uh, there's a saying that we use a lot in American culture to discern whether we tend towards optimism or pessimism. And you'll recognize it as soon as I, as I say it. It's whether or not you look at the glass half full or half empty. Now, you can apply that image, that symbol, in a number of ways, some of which are legitimate. But applying it to life broadly, that is your life. If you're a person who tends to look at the glass half empty, you're a person who, generally speaking, looks at the faults and flaws and the lack and the negative things which can tend to siphon away a sense of of gratitude because you're focusing on what's not there and probably feel a level of dissatisfaction. On the other side, there are those who see the glass half full, and they, generally speaking, are those who focus on the things that have been given um, and out of that feel a sense of satisfaction and probably out of that also feel a greater sense of gratitude. Now, from a purely worldly standpoint, that is, earthly level, um, it's probably marginally better to see life as a glass half full than see it as half empty. I know in my personal experience, in terms of my friendships, the friendships that are harder to deal with or the hardest to deal with are those who are with people that generally look negatively and always want to find the fault in things. 
Um, you got to love people like that, but it's hard. <laughs> I remember pulling up in a new car. It wasn't brand new. It was new to me. It was a used car in my driveway, and a friend pulled up, a loved friend. And the first thing he said when he got out of the car and saw my new used car was, wow, the bumper's crooked. I'm totally having a great time. I like, I love this vehicle. This is awesome. And all you have to say is, hey, look at the bumper's crooked. But that is somebody who genuinely, you know, sees the glasses half, half empty. But what's in- interesting to me is I've thought about that. Do you see the glasses half full or half empty? Is both perspectives imply lack? Both of them have the word half in them. You either see it as half full, which implies there's a whole bunch more that needs to be filled, or you see it as half empty, which, again, both imply that there is a lack. And that, to me, is a a sad way of, of looking at life. And that's made worse by the fact that we, because we're fallen individuals and oftentimes are inclined to compare ourselves with each other, that we accentuate And oftentimes, what's in the glass fluctuates based upon how the people around us are doing. So if someone's doing better than we are, then the sense is, oftentimes the felt sense is that the glass is a little bit less full. So when Uncle Tony pulls into the driveway at Christmas driving his brand new Mercedes, and he pulls it up next to your Ford Taurus, 1997, that barely passes smog, eats up oil, and, you know, the driver's side window roll, roll up and down. At that moment, it feels as if what's in your glass has just gone down a little bit. Or when your brother and sister-in-law come in for turkey dinner, and you have a, you have a decent but difficult marriage, and they, came, they come in with this kind of uber-in-love, super-happy marriage, it can easily create a sense of your cup, like, going down and The same is true all across life. If you're the cutest girl in the class, you may be running at 60% full, but as soon as someone comes in who's cuter than you, well, then you droop down to 30% because we have this fallen inclination to compare ourselves and what's in our cup with what's in the cup of those around us. And what makes it even worse is that we live in what's called a consumer culture, which is bent on because it has to to make money creating you feel, creating in you the feeling like your glass is more and more empty. I mean, the whole purpose of marketing and television and commercials and so forth is to make you feel a sense of want, like you're missing something. It wants to drain your cup. So, you know, watching Avatar on your 28-inch screen Vizio was wonderful, and your cup felt half full until you saw the commercial with the 55-inch LG, Infinio, with super, uber, high definition and true 3D presentation. Then all of a sudden, the 28 inches and your glass goes down. I mean, that's, that's how we f- often feel by comparison and by what the world constantly throws at us. You need this, and you need this, and you need this. And so it's an ever-going struggle to try and fill your cup. Now, my question is this. Is that way of looking at life as a glass half full or half empty? That's a lens of looking at your life. Is that how the followers of Jesus are supposed to see their lives, live their lives, and out of that to give thanks? Is that an appropriate lens for us? My life is half full. Like, 
Again, marginally better, but is that how we're supposed to see ourselves in our lives and out of which we give thanks? Or let me put it differently. How does it feel if we hold up the glass of life this morning and we say to the Lord, Lord, thank you so much for giving me half a glass? That should strike you as funny. Thanks for the half glass. What if I was to say that God has designed for his people and provided for his people a full glass? The way we are to see our lives, the way we are to live our lives and then give thanks out of is that our cup is to be full to the top. And you might say at this point, say, Dan, that is impossible. That is a pipe dream of an unrealistic optimist. That's impossible to have a full cup in this life. In one sense, I I suppose you're right, depending on what you put in the cup. If the cup of your life and what satisfies you is defined by the imperfect things of this world, and you could name them, Marriage, as great as it is and as a benefit and a gift of common grace as that it is, it is still imperfect because both parties are imperfect. If that's what defines your glass along with your imperfect children, your imperfect parenting, your imperfect job, then yes, it's impossible for your cup to be full because all of those things are imperfect, lacking, and flawed. It will always be half full. But a full cup is possible if there's something different in it. And this is what should set apart the Christian from every other person who doesn't believe. Because the Bible teaches us, and the experience of saints through the ages confirmed to us, that there is one thing that fills the cup. And it's the presence of the Lord. And where the presence of the Lord breaks into human conscious experience, the cup is full. And it's out of that, of course, that we give give thanks. Listen to these words of Scripture. I'm just going to give you from different places. It'll be impossible, not impossible, but you're going to rip your Bible if you try and follow. Psalm 16. The psalmist writes, he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. And a little bit later, he says, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. The Lord is his cup. And at the very end of the psalm, he comes right back to it and he says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. It's, it's not half a cup, it's Fullness of joy. Where the presence of the Lord lives and breathes in the human heart, there is fullness of joy. Not a half full cup. That was the experience of the psalmist in Psalm 16. King David, a few chapters later, would say to the Lord, he would say, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those are the sayings of a full overflowing cup. 
And that comes right after he says, even though I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. His cup was full. And the reason it was full is because it was the presence of the Lord that filled it. Or we can fast forward to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and listen to his teachings, what he said to the woman at the well of John 4 verse 9. When he says that the living water that he gives to his followers, his spirit, is a spring of life that overflows. Now, if I am at this moment being accused of being an unrealistic optimist, then what is he? Or that he would say to his disciples in John 15 in a context where he talks about abiding in the vine, which is connecting ourselves to his presence, that he would say to his disciples in response to that teaching, I have spoken these words to you, 15 verse 11, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. The key is it's the joy of Christ that he wants to indwell his followers. And he wants it to indwell his followers so that their joy may be not half a cup, but full. So if that's the experience of the psalmist and the teaching of Jesus, and then it's echoed in the, in the prayers of, of the Apostle Paul as well. The, one of the texts that we've memorized, some of us have memorized in connection with the Last Day series, is this, Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. He's praying for us to be filled with all joy. That's what he's praying for. And I think he prayed for it because he knew that's what Jesus offered. Or that he would pray for the Ephesians that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. You hear all the all the verbiage of fullness, of joy and peace, and that's what's being prayed, that's what's being taught, and that's what's being experienced. I think the idea of seeing the Christian life as a, as a cup half full robs the Christian of the fullness of what Christ has offered. The problem is we fill our cup with the wrong things, and we find joy in those things which are imperfect. But if the Christian heart is moment by moment, day by day, week by week, filling its cup with the presence of God and what he has graciously done for his bride, his people, his beloved, then your cup will be full. That's what I want for me, I want for you. I experience it sometimes, not constantly, but it's getting better. To be overwhelmed in the presence of, of great mountains and meditating on great verses of Scripture that say that he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that he has predestined us for adoption as sons. Now that makes my heart want to sing. You might say at this point, okay, I get it. The fullness is taught. So how, how do we have a full cup? Because I don't feel like I have a full cup. Let me answer it this way. I'll say it twice so you can get it. The best way I know in the biblical way to fill your cup is by prayerful, careful meditation on the Word of God in which 
who God is and what he has done for us in Christ is unveiled. It's not simply prayerful meditation upon Scripture. It's prayerful meditation upon Scripture which presents to us the greatness of who God is and what he has accomplished for us by grace through Christ. And when that becomes the meditation of the heart, then the heart will be filled with the presence of the Lord. And one of the texts that does that for me, that I come back to over and over and over again, have committed to my memory for that very purpose, is Psalm 103. Because in a, in a, in a almost in an example sort of way, shows us how to fill the cup. Because the beginning of the psalm, Psalm 103, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That he is calling for a response of his own heart for a blessing with his whole being, which is what God deserves. And I believe David overflows with that sense of blessing and praise and thanksgiving. And those are all part of the same family of worship. Thanksgiving and praise and blessing. A lot of those verbs really aren't even different in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's a form of praise to be filled with gratitude. But how is it that David can bless the Lord with his whole being? Well, he remembers something. You'll notice in, I guess that's verse 2, and it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. To not forget something means the reverse, which means to remember something. So to fill his cup so that his whole being blesses and thanks and praises the Lord, he remembers benefits. He calls to mind and thinks about, meditates on, lets these things grip his soul. And you'll notice the list that follows does not include maidens, marriages, Chariots, horses, palace gold, or turbo camels. They just don't compute into what is the foundation of his full cup. He lists out five who statements as to who God is when he talks about the benefits. And these are the things that fill his cup, and these are the things, believers, that will fill your cup moment by moment, day by day, week by week who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good. That's a list of eternal graces that God, because of who he is, has given to his people through the death, resurrection, and second coming of Jesus. And to the heart, and I know not everybody feels this, and I can't turn the switch on for you. To the heart that knows its deepest need, and that the deepest longing is nothing less than the presence of God in Christ, then these statements become fountains that fill the cup. I mean, to be reminded that one of the benefits of trusting in the Lord is that he forgives all your iniquity, not some, but all. And to realize in this moment of worship, I stand clean before him, 
conscience clear before him, guilt gone before him. That should, the realization of it in the soul should make any atonal, non-singing person want to sing. Because he has forgiven all my iniquities. That he is a God whose heart is to heal all of our diseases. All of them, bar none. To heal not only the spiritual maladies of a, of a soul twisted up by sin, which he's already in the process of healing those who have the Spirit, but also promises that one day he will wipe every tear from the face of his people. He will cure every single instance of rheumatoid arthritis and Crohn's disease and cancer, lung cancer, liver cancer, fibromyalgia, and that he will consign pain and suffering to a place of extinction in the new creation. That is the heart of God. He will heal all of our diseases. That he redeems our life from the pit, which is a picturesque way of saying he rescues us from death. That's a, the pit is a place where the, the bones of the dead are gathered. And he's the God who rescues us from that final enemy that some this week feel the sting of. But to know that he has conquered that and rescues us and redeems us from that pit should fill your cup and my cup. And those three things, first three things, are just what God in his love does for us in our fallen sinful state of failure. To forgive and to heal and to redeem. But then he goes on to say, who crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. He crowns us with steadfast love. His immeasurable, Paul says, protective, satisfying fullness of his intense, irrevocable love, he crowns his people with. And where his love becomes a conscious internal realization, that is its experience, it's, in the words of David, it is better than life. You want to trade a thousand days elsewhere for just one day because it truly is the best thing in life. You never want to leave it. Those who have tasted it know exactly what's being said. So if his love and his conquering mercy are what you're focusing on and remembering, then your cup is filled. If you're a believer and you feel like your cup is half full, it's, it's because you don't realize what you already have. Your cup has already been poured full. It's just realizing it to be true. Or that ultimately it's his, and this is the last who statement, it's ultimately the Lord who satisfies you with good. You don't satisfy yourself with good. He satisfies you. So we look to him. We look to him and we remember his benefits. We remember his forgiveness in Christ. We remember his healing in Christ. We remember him, his rescue and redemption from death in Christ. We remember his steadfast love in Christ. And we remember that he has promised to satisfy us with good in Christ. That, my friends, is what fills the cup. 
That church is what we're to remember moment by moment, day by day, so that our cup might be full and thanksgiving will come not out of a a half-full glass, but a full glass. And that produces an overwhelming sense of worship, thanksgiving, praise, and bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Should we give thanks for our imperfect marriages? Absolutely. Should we give thanks for the privilege of being imperfect parents? Absolutely. Should we give thanks for our imperfect kids that we enjoy and frustrate us at the same time? Absolutely. Should we give thanks for every breath that we have? Absolutely. But those things are imperfect, fading and changing. And if that's what you fill your cup with, then you'll always be left wanting. But if what fills your cup is the presence of the Lord and his eternal graces of forgiveness and healing, forgiveness, love, mercy, and satisfaction, then you can give God thanks for the imperfect things in life from a position of fullness and not of lack. So don't let the world tell you that you need to see your glass is half full when God through Christ has poured it and it overflows. May we, not just at Thanksgiving, but each day, seek to have the Lord of grace fill our cup with the joy of the Lord and to live that out. That, my friends, is the true foundation of thanksgiving. And I pray that your heart will respond in fullness of gratitude, praise, thanksgiving. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me because of everything he is and has done for us. Father, I give you praise and thanks for all that you have done. In the words of Paul the Apostle, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, O Lord, you predestined us as sons adopted through Christ according to the riches of your grace and to the praise of your glorious grace. And we just give you thanks. Thank you for all that you have done. Fill our cups, O Lord, as we remember all that you have done and will do for us in Christ Jesus. And all God's people say, amen.